It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, hopefully just a one-off, let's hope he's right, and maybe it's just a sophomore slump. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out on the SiriusXM app as well and follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, it was not a good night at the ballpark for the Braves last night. They fall 8-6. to six. Good old Freddie Freeman came back uh, to Atlanta and uh, hit a uh, two-run homer. Uh, J.D. Martinez also with a couple of home runs. Um, some good offensive performances last night. Rosario had uh, two hits and three RBI. He hit a three-run homer last night. But one of the big stories from last night was just the fact that Charlie Morton did not pitch all that well. So five innings, seven hits, six runs, all of them earned, two walks, five strikeouts, but the two home runs. And obviously, last year was a situation where the way the reason Charlie Morton had all of his struggles is that he gave up the most home runs that he had given up in his career. The home run ball really got to him last year. Now, this is the first time that he's given up two home runs in a game in any start this season. And it is interesting the way that May is kind of shaping up and he'll get one more start in May. But in between, you know, the, he's made four starts in May. <clears throat> the ones that were in the middle of the sandwich, 12 and two-thirds innings, only two earned runs with 17 strikeouts. He's bookend that with his first and last start so far this month, 10 and a third innings, 10 earned runs, and 11 strikeouts. But last night, again, as we said, the home run ball got to him. And look, hopefully that this is just a one-off, right? Like, hopefully that this is just that anomaly game. But I will say that two of his last four starts have been less than stellar. Now, when he's been on, he's been terrific, right? You know, he's been he's been very effective, back to striking out lots of guys. He's not giving up the home run ball. And Charlie Morton has had a nice year overall. I know the record maybe doesn't say that at five and four, but 52 and a third innings pitched, 54 strikeouts. It is only six home runs in that 50-plus innings. Now his ERA kind of jumped up a little bit where it was 285 going into last night, 361. But still, he's been effective. And, you know, we talked about on the show that He's got to be one of those guys that helps kind of step up, right? As you don't have Kyle Wright and Max Fried, and you're not going to have those guys for an extended period of time, and as Michael Soroka is not ready yet, and Ian Anderson is down for the count, and you're having to try to rely on rookies and very young pitchers, Charlie Morton has got to be that calming influence in that Braves rotation. 
But hopefully last night was just sort of a one-off. Hopefully last night was not a sign of some things to come or that there's any issues with him because, again, two of his last four starts have been terrific, fantastic. He's been blowing people away. Two of his starts this month have been where he's given up the two most runs that he's given up all season long. And look, Morton is going to be a guy that the Braves are going to have to depend on, right? He's going to have to be a guy that, and again, I was talking to some people that they talk about his leadership and, you know, again, his uh, behind the scenes, you know, acumen, just as far as he's a mentor and a leader to a lot of these young pitchers. And, and certainly the Braves are just full of young pitchers. And you see why <clears throat> that they were looking to resign him, albeit for 20 something million dollars, but still you bring a guy like that back into your clubhouse when you're a successful organization and you're going to pitch a lot of your young guys because he is a leader in the clubhouse. He is one of those guys is a good locker room guy, good clubhouse guy. And he has been a guy that has performed, you know, even through all of the issues that he had last year with giving up home runs, he was still a 200 strikeout pitcher. And there's no reason to think that he won't be another 200 strikeout pitcher this year. So, Hopefully last night was not a sign of things to come for Charlie Morton that, again, the two home runs given up, you know, obviously being hit hard. And, you know, at, at, at that fifth inning, he was really kind of struggling to just get through everything. And you saw the Braves just want to try to get <clears throat> try to get him through everything and be able to um, at least get him his five innings. And obviously Charlie Morton is a guy – that you want to see him eat some innings, right? He's one of those guys that I think Snitker will allow to go deeper into games. I think he's one of those guys that Snitker is going to allow to rack up some pitch counts, right? You know, where he may not do that with a lot of his young guys, where he's not going to let Schuster or, you know, Strider or some of these guys rack up high, high pitch counts. Morton is a guy that, okay, if we can, find a way to get him six, maybe even seven innings, give our bullpen a little bit of a rest. That's kind of what his job has been, right? And he's had some of those starts this year where you look and say, okay, I'm going to give Charlie Morton the ball and I'm going to let him go out there and throw as many innings as he can. And hopefully you take your bull, you have your, you give your bullpen a night off because again, they're going to pitch. They're going to play seven days in a row here. Just this week, they're going to play all seven days. So three with the Dodgers, four with the Philadelphia Phillies. And then you're going to go on the road, headed to Oakland out on the West Coast. So obviously there's not going to be this two days off thing and all this good kind of stuff. Morton is going to have to be a guy that helps you to eat some innings up and not have to burn out your bullpen for it. So rough start last night for Charlie Morton. Braves overall did not get off to a, a good start. In, well, I should say they, they got off to a good start early in this game. They were up for nothing, but it certainly didn't end well, you know, for the Braves. And Freddie back home, you know, back uh, in Atlanta, hits the big home run. Dodgers just kind of kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. You know, the Braves, uh, unfortunately, last night, even with uh, Morton going five innings, had to use five different pitchers last night. Jimenez, Minter, Yates, Ledge. They had to use four different guys out of their bullpen. And again, you don't want to see that. You hope that Morton was going to give you maybe six. Maybe he can get six and two-thirds or what have you. 
but he did not have his good stuff last night. And he only threw 99 pitches. So it wasn't like that he really cranked up the pitch count, but still 99 pitches, five innings. You were hoping for a little bit better result. But let's hope that this is just basically a one-off right now, that this is just a one-off for Charlie Morton, that, okay, he gave up a couple of home runs last night. He got batted around a little bit last night. Hopefully, at the end of the day, that this is not a sign of things to come. Hopefully, we still continue to get the Charlie Morton that is pitched effectively for this ball club. And hopefully, again, we don't have any more of these issues with Charlie Morton giving up a lot of home runs in a start. That was his downfall last year. Hopefully, that's not going to be the case. And so far, so good. It really hasn't been for Charlie Morton. All right, let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel. As FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And if you're a new customer to FanDuel, you can head to FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started and sign up and claim your no sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Now, FanDuel's got you covered with all things Major League Baseball, right? We're way deep into the weeds in Major League Baseball. We're headed toward Memorial Day weekend. You can bet on everything from from uh, run score to lines on the game to whether Aaron Judge is going to homer or not, everything in between. So sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and claim your no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on L O C K E D O N and get that no sweat first bet for a thousand dollars potentially if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel's the official partner of Major League Baseball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. So let's hope that Desmond Ritter is right when he talks about what this offense could be. So he was on Good Morning Football uh, yesterday, I guess it was, and had some things to say. Um, Here's him talking about his offense and obviously the parts and pieces that he has in this offense. Quote, as an offense, you look for explosive plays and you get them any way you can, whether that's to Drake, whether that's to Kyle, a guy like Janu, Mac Hollins, it doesn't matter. But then when you can hand the ball off and just give it to a guy like Tyler Algier or Bijan or CP and let them go, it just makes uh, my job a lot easier. So when they drafted Bijan, I just knew that this offense has something. Uh, I just knew that this offense has something to be explosive. We're able to go out there and whether it's the run game, pass game, play action, doesn't matter. We think that we're going to be pretty explosive. And look, that's what we hope for, right? I've talked about on the show before. If we can get at least the 26 points per game, I I think the two keys, we can get to 26 points a game. and, And a lot of that is going to be being elite in the red zone. Whether it's running the football, passing the football, whatever. 
You know, you've got Drake, you've got Kyle, you've got Bijan, you got CP, you got Algier, you got Johnu Smith, you got all these different weapons that are available to you, and especially down deep. Some of these guys should be mismatches for the Atlanta Falcons. And again, if we can't be a an elite red zone offense where we're averaging basically 67% of our possessions are going to be touchdowns when we get in the red zone. You know, the offense has got to got to be at that level. And, and we've invested way too much personnel into our offense to not be like this, right? I mean, we have all kinds of first-round draft picks on our offensive line. We've obviously got high-caliber draft capital in skill position people over the last three years that this regime has drafted specifically. So if we can't get it done in the red zone and, and we can't average at least 26 points a game, where's all that going to come from? Where's that explosiveness going to come from? You know, again, I don't care what you do between the 20s. Show me that you can get in the red zone and score as many touchdowns as humanly possible. Now, Desmond also went on to say, however that comes, we just want to be explosive. Whether it's in the run game, the pass game, whatever it may be, obviously this is a game where you get to put points up on the board and that's something that we want to do as an offense, all the while taking care of the ball, controlling the game, doing just what you have to do to go out there and win. So from the Falcons' offense, uh, we could just go out there, just play our hardest, and be explosive. Well, look, obviously, obviously the idea is that Desmond Ritter, I think number one, is not going to be a turnover machine the way that Marcus Mariota was. You know, he was certainly a... He was certainly a guy who you felt like at any moment <clears throat> could either put the ball on the carpet or throw the ball up for grabs, and he would create a turnover. And then he'd take a sack along with it. Even though he didn't have necessarily <clears throat> a huge amount of sacks and they didn't pass the ball and drop back and pass very often, his sack percentage, Marcus Mariota, that is, was really high last year. I mean, over, I mean, somewhere between 10 and 12% of his dropbacks resulted in a sack. Now, hopefully Ritter can clean some of that up. Hopefully he can clean up some of the mistakes that Marcus Mariota did. And I do think that one of the things about Desmond Ritter is that he's a heady, smart quarterback <clears throat> that's not going to put the ball in danger. When you've got that many weapons, you shouldn't have to put the ball in danger. And so do I want to see them be explosive? Yeah. Do, do I think that they're going to be Matt Ryan-esque in 2016? No, I, I don't think that. I mean, I don't think one is they have the trigger man for all of that, but I don't see them being that kind of prolific offense. But <clears throat> again, <clears throat> if we can be a really, really good offense, and I'm talking about a top five offense in the red zone and get ourselves to where we're 67% touchdowns, two thirds of our possessions need to be touchdowns in the red zone. That's where I'm going to really watch what Arthur Smith does with the play calling, with the personnel that he has. I want to see everybody in personnel groups when we get down deep. I don't want to see Kyle Pitts off the field. I don't want to see Drake London off the field. I don't want to see John Smith. I don't want to see anybody coming off the field. Even, even Patterson or Bijan need to split out wide or go in the slot or whatever they have to do. But I need all of my weapons on the field all the time when we get down in the red zone. There's no reason why with this offensive group of personnel that we should struggle in the red zone. In the last two years, we were 14th last year 
<clears throat> we were 24th the year before that in Arthur's first year. Well, now we've got all this high draft capital that we've invested in. We need to be that way. So I'm not even so much worried about explosive plays. I, You know, again, explosive plays, I think, is 20-yard plays or more or whatever. I guess that's the technical definition for explosive plays in the NFL. What I want us to be, <clears throat> I want us to be an elite red zone offense. I, I know we can move it through the 20s. I know we can get there. But when we get down deep, we have to find a way to score touchdowns. And obviously, we can score as many touchdowns as possible. We'll win a lot of games. Duh. And and we'll obviously being a position where if our defense can play ahead, now you can tee off on quarterbacks. That was the thing about the 2016 defense. 2016 defense wasn't all that great. <clears throat> but when you had big leads and you got way out front on people, you could just pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. You could turn Vic Beasley loose and go after the quarterback. You didn't have to worry about him. Well, is he going to set the edge or stop the run or this or that? No, you just let him go out there and play football and just pin his ears back and go after everybody because our offense accumulated a big lead. So while I don't think that the Falcons are going to be this 30-point-per-game offense, and I'm not worried about explosive plays and big chunk plays and all these different kinds of things. Just help me be elite in the red zone, be an elite red zone team, 67%, score me 26 points a game, and everything else will fall into place. Everything else will get figured out from there, and they'll take care of it. And offensively, if you can get 26 points a game where you're up in that upper tier of really good offenses <clears throat> and you can be 67% or above where you're an elite level red zone offense, everything will be fine. Desmond Ritter will be fine at that point. And I, I don't think he's going to be the turnover machine that Marcus Mariota was. So let's hope that he's right. Let's hope that we get the explosive plays, but let's hope that we're really good as far as being in the red zone. All right, as you make hitting hard with John Chuck, where you first listen, be sure to go in and whatever podcast platform that you're listening on, go into the comment section and leave us a note that you're an everyday listener. So we like to call them our everydayers. So we thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community as we're basically almost a little over a year now um, into this. <clears throat> we thank you so much for being a part of our audience and let us know that you're an everydayer, an everyday listener, five days a week to the podcast as we thank you so much. So maybe it's just sophomore slump for Michael Harris right now. So Harris has not had a hit in his last six games. And obviously there's been a lot of struggles for Michael Harris. He's batting 163 with a 242 on base percentage, a 244 slugging percentage, and only a 486 OPS for the year. Now, there is some things that are good in all this. I mean, he's only hit the one home run, but there are some good things that he's done. Number one is <clears throat> he hasn't let his poor performance at the plate affect his defense. He is still a defense. He's still a, a guy who defensively has a plus war rating, wins above replacement rating. So he's not letting his offensive struggles affect what he does defensively. He's still a very, very good defensive outfielder. And again, 
it's the old joke in baseball that defense travels, right? So he's played really well in center field. Now, obviously, had the injuries and things like that earlier in the year, but he hasn't lost a step. He's still making really good plays out in, out in the outfield, doing what he has to do. So he's at least contributing from that standpoint. While his batting average may be, you know, or I should say his offensive production overall may be a negative placement, his defensive number is a positive wins above replacement. And by the way, he was a 1.3 defensive wins above replacement player last year. He's a he's a 0.2 right now. And when you consider that <clears throat> he hasn't played as much, he's missed time, and we're not really that deep into the schedule just yet, that's good news. That's good signs for everything. The other thing about Michael Harris, too, is <clears throat> when he does get on base, the few times that he does get on base, he's prone to steal a base. So that was one of the things about Michael Harris and his speed last year that we got a chance to see. But Michael Harris still, even with all of his offensive struggles, where literally he's only had 14 hits on the year, he has stolen four bases. So when you figure that he's got four doubles and a homer out of his 14 hits and he still stole four bases, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that when he gets on, he's trying to make some things happen. So even though he may not have the long ball production or, you know, hitting lots of extra base hits and things like that, when he gets on, he's able to turn that single into a double and steal some bases for it. And obviously, look, Major League Baseball is seeing a real uptick, and I'm I'm very happy about all this. They're seeing a real uptick in stolen base attempts more than anything, and they're also seeing a big uptick in successful stolen bases. So that's one of the good things about these rule changes and stuff like that is that we're seeing the stolen base become more in vogue again. You know, Ronnie's got 18 steals. The leader in baseball has got 24 steals. Can you imagine a a, 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 a the baseball world with a guy that it's going to end up with 50 or 60 steals and maybe a couple of guys that are in the 50s? I don't know how long I don't know how long it's been since we've seen something like that because you know even Ronnie was a guy who was leading the league at like 29 steals. The fact that we're getting back into the stolen base, you know, mindset, and, and certainly teams are taking some chances on stolen bases, and they're really being successful at it. That's a real high percentage of, you know, successful stolen base attempts. That's all good news. But the other thing that Michael Harris is doing well, and, and this was one of the things that <clears throat> if I did have any criticisms of him last year, was the fact that I didn't think he walked enough. That I, I didn't think that I didn't think that he had walked enough in his big league career. And look, the, the season he had last year, fantastic, right? Hit the 297 rookie of the year, did everything that you could ask out of him, right? But I did think that one of the things that he could really work on was his ability to draw walks. And that was something that he only had 21 walks in 441 plate appearances last year. So 21 walks in 141, 441 plate appearances. <clears throat> and he had, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had 107 strikeouts. Well, this year he's got in 95 plate appearances, eight walks. So he's already got more than a third of the walks that he did in 441 plate appearances and he's only had basically a quarter of the plate appearances so far this year. Eight walks and 95 plate appearances, 
as compared to 21 walks in 441 plate appearances. And even his strikeout numbers, while, look, they're, they're still they're still maybe a little bit higher than what you want, but 19 strikeouts and 95 plate appearances isn't a ridiculous number, right? I mean, that that's not a completely ridiculous number. If he can get to, you know, 450 plate appearances this season, that number won't be ridiculous. So that is really the good thing about Michael Harris is that while the batting average and the slugging and things like that are not coming around completely, he is drawing more walks and he is cutting down on his strikeouts. And those are good signs, especially when you're a young player. You know, that was one of the things that Ronnie really adjusted to hitting leadoff is the fact that he became a guy who could really get himself on base. He became more disciplined at the plate. He was willing to draw a walk. And you saw that his on-base percentage crept up. And look, I don't expect Michael Harris to hit 300 and, you know, be this that kind of player. Look, I'll certainly take it. But if Michael Harris can be a guy that can draw some walks, and and his, I still think that his value is at the top of the order. I still think his value is at the top of the order against right-handers where he's feasted on, on right-handed pitching. If he can get himself to being a good on-base guy, and obviously he's got the speed, even though his batting average may be you know less, I mean, 297 last year, even if it's in the 270s or what have you. If he can be a guy that has that 350 on-base percentage or higher, his value increases at the top of the order. Because if you have Ronnie, and, and I still think that he profiles as a number two hitter, if you have Ronnie and Michael Harris at the top of your order and those guys are getting on at a pretty good on-base clip and those guys are just circling the bases and just running like gazelles all around the field, that's all good news. And hopefully Michael Harris can get himself on track. It's been a struggle this year. Let's hope that we chalk this up to that old dreaded sophomore slump, right? Hopefully that this is just a sophomore slump that he's in. But the good things are, number one, he hasn't let it affect his defense. He's still a good defensive outfielder, a a positive wins above replacement defensive outfielder. And he's stealing some bases. And he's finding a way to draw some more walks and cut down on the strikeouts. And for a young player, if you can get that and take advantage of your speed, that's all good signs. So hopefully this thing will turn itself around. I have confidence in Michael Harris. I mean, again, he's an outstanding young player, and the Braves are lucky to have him. Um, But certainly a little bit of that sophomore slump that's come along. All right, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment that you are an everyday listener. So whatever platform that you listen to us on, Make sure you go in the comment section and let us know and let everybody know that you're an everydayer, as we like to call them, an everyday listener. We thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. You can catch Hitting Hard uh, on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well, and then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.